Strange things are afoot on season three of Falling Out. This is my first in-person interview. It took place in my kitchen in London with one John Gorenfeld. And before I get to the interview, you need to understand the history of how this interview came about. John Gorenfeld is not a Mooney. He didn't grow up in the Unification Church, nor did his parents have anything to do with the Unification Church. However, at a certain point in his life, John became incredibly obsessively interested in the Unification Church. And eventually he wrote a book, an incredible book, in my opinion, focused on the political influence peddling and the money that the Unification Church wields in Washington, D.C. That book was published in 2008, and it's called Bad Moon Rising. Unfortunately for John, the book arrived with a whimper. This incredibly sordid tale of manipulation at the highest levels of society was greeted with their collective, eh, so what? No one gave a shit. And I think that's emblematic of many of the struggles that we cult survivors face. A lot of people just don't give a shit. And it's fucking sad to see that. I'm back to the story about John. His book arrived with a whimper. Did not sell well. No one gave a shit. He had a few moments in the limelight, going on interviews, being asked the wrong questions about the Unification Church on those interviews, and the whole thing disappeared. And John decided that he didn't want to have anything to do with the movies anymore after that, which I can understand, quite honestly. And after I started this podcast, I reached out to John. Turns out he, he lives in London, less than 30 minutes away from where I live. So I reached out to him, and I heard nothing. Which is fine, by the way. My, my whole MO with this entire project is, look, ask people, you know, ask people once if they, you know, if they want to talk about any of this stuff. But if people don't want to talk, don't ask them again. It's up to, it's up to them. That's, that's really kind of how I roll with this, with this thing. I respect people who, you know, want to keep things in the past and if they want to do that, then that's, that's fine. So I just kind of left it at that. Submitted something to his website and didn't hear anything back. Six, 12 months later, I was talking to a previous guest on this show who actually knows John. And that individual, thankfully, made an introduction to John for me. And John and I started talking. And within the first conversation, it became quite clear that this guy was like, he's fucking one of us. He was talking about... He was using lingo like four position foundation and fucking concave and convex and talking about all the minutiae of Mooney life that I thought only Moonies knew about. But but this guy knew and he remarkably chose to immerse himself in that language in a way that I did not choose personally for myself, nor have any of my other guests. So John and I have become friends, been out to the pub a few times. We've talked extensively on the phone and over text, just about all this stuff. This acted as an opportunity for me to gain a better understanding of what it was like for an outsider to view this entire thing. And I think for John, it helped him to gain further context and clarity as to what he had been involved in previously, or what he had been examining, I should say. And eventually, John decided to come on my show, which was awesome. And as part of those conversations, he told me that he actually specifically 
routed any inbound contact that he got that mentioned the Moonies. He either basically put it directly to spam or at one point actually programmed his website to reject any inbound inquiries that had anything to do with the Moonies. And that's because of the crazy fucking conspiracy emails and shit that he was getting. He shared some of them with me. They are fucking wild. There are some crazies out there. And for a while, John was kind of the the guy who was sort of looked at as like the, the guy who could kind of blow the whistle on the crazy. And the thing is, he did. He did blow the whistle, but no one gave a fuck. And that, that was not about any unprovable conspiracy theory. That is all incredibly well-documented and well-researched in his book, Bad Moon Rising, which I highly recommend you get. It is out of print now. You'll probably have to buy a secondhand copy. I would recommend doing that. It kind of sucks because it means John's not going to get paid for it. And I wish there was a way for him to get paid for all his hard work because he certainly didn't get paid enough the first time around. I've heard that there might be a second edition coming. If so, I will definitely be publicizing it on this show. So that's some of the backstory with John. And I got to say, this was a real delight to to do, to, you know, to host someone who I've become friends with in my house. It was kind of shortly after restrictions on the pandemic were lifted. It was great. And it's really interesting talking to someone about the way they view this from the outside. And there's a ton of information here about all the political connections, all the money and all the work that John did. And also just the story of how he put this epic saga together is quite amazing in my opinion so yeah without further ado i actually one one further thing to say if you're watching the video of this which if you're not why aren't you because you could if you were a patreon subscriber but anyway if you are watching the video it's like it's kind of like backwards just like the way the cameras were set up it looks like i look to my right but john is really on my left basically type of thing anyway or vice versa. Anyway, you'll you'll figure it out. Just the cameras are pointing the wrong way. But I think having it on camera actually makes it kind of cool. You can just kind of see what's happening. I'm like walking around pouring pouring glass of wine and still talking about shit. It was fun. Okay. I'm just going to give you a little brief bio of John now, and then we're going to head right into this. Hold on one second. Uh, uh, John is a writer and a software engineer who grew up in California, but he met a Brit like me and he moved to England. As discussed, he's author of Bad Moon Rising, 2008 book. This is these are John's world, John's words. A 2008 book about the weird untold story of the bromance between the Unification Church and right wing politicians in America. As a journalist, John broke one of the first ever viral video scandals when he blogged about a strange ceremony captured on video. The setting was the U.S. Senate offices where the Reverend Sun Moon, dressed up in royal robes, and a member of Congress put a crown on his head. We. Talk about that extensively in this episode and in the next episode as well. It was quite a fascinating incident, particularly for me growing up in D.C. around being there around that same time. John's first experience of the Moonies was as a child seeing a mass wedding on TV. It sounded nice to him that all these people were getting married, and he was confused when his parents said it was bad. His fascinations with cults heightened in the eighth grade when his best friend was hauled off to an infamous wilderness boarding school for troubled teens, the same one attended by Paris Hilton. It was John's first brush with the kind of group that cuts people off from friends and family in an attempt to change their personalities while raking in huge amounts of money. Sound familiar? Later, John attended the UC Berkeley Graduate School of Journalism and worked as a small-town newspaper reporter. His work has appeared in Salon, The London Guardian, The New York Observer, and The Armchair Civil War Reader. He has written about stranger-than-fiction topics, including a North Korean kidnapping saga. 
He met his wife after being introduced to her in San Francisco by a fan of Wild West magazine, a publication he has also co-written articles for with his father, William. The father and son team are also the co-authors of Kearney's Dragoons Out West, a book about Western military history. John lives with his wife and two young children in South London. He and his wife, Mary Kavanaugh's latest project is AnimalBastards.com, a humorous game about animal facts. Yes, AnimalBastards.com will be in the show notes for this. Last but not least, I believe this interview is the second time when we have shit on Nickelback in this podcast, and I hope it's not the last time. Here it goes, part one with John Gornfeld. Okay, cool. <laughs> right, so what, what was it? You know you need unique New York. You know you need New York. You know you need unique New York. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> it, uh, that's good. Cool. Um, well, John, welcome to the show. Thank you. It's, uh, it's a real here. pleasure to have you. This is, this is the Sorry. first, um, my first in-person interview in my kitchen in Southwest London. So uh, oh. welcome. Oh, I just, okay. Interesting. Thank you. It's great to be here. Yeah. Um, and I guess to get started, uh, yeah, we have a lot to talk about. Um, uh, in, in theory, I will have put together some sort of introduction before we get to yeah, this part. Yeah, that's of the, all right. Yeah, the listening. But um, I guess would would love to just kind of understand how you got hooked into the world of the Moonies, and what yeah, what that journey looked like to begin with. Um, and then let's talk about yeah. the book. But I, I'm really curious about that. Like, like, how did you get hooked into this world? Because there's no one else wow. I've ever met who who speaks the same language you're like an honorary <laughs> yeah i mean this is this has been so strange um uh meeting you and talking about um talking about the the language of of unification church and the moonies and i mean it was a part of my life that um i like actually tried to forget for a really long time after writing this book about the moonies there was sort of there was this book on my shelf um and i turned it around so i couldn't see it because all of my sort of like floaty writer dreams since eighth grade of like, Hey, someday you could write a book. Someday you could become a journalist watching movies, like almost famous about journalism where it's like, you could be swept away on amazing journalism adventures. All of this had solidified into this two thousands politics book about the Reverend moon kind of aimed at uh you know, aimed at sort of like John Kerry, liberal voters um, who, you know, there were a lot of books aimed at in the, the 2000s about sort of like why you should be, you know, raising a ruckus about the fact that the conservative Washington Times newspaper is uh, is owned by by the Reverend Moon. And it, it was something that for a long time as a sort of desperate young uh, journalism graduate living with my parents and uh, trying, you know, desperate to get some kind of validation from the world discovered and it was like this strange it was like the thing that that everyone dreams about which is like the the front page story that's the scoop that no one has that just suddenly everyone wants to know about and uh I spent a long time trying to trying to publish a book on it I finally did and it kind of came out wrong and was misfiled under conspiracy and I was very (laughs) upset about that and it had a you know it was sort of this doomy this doomy marketing of this this book with this title um, bad moon rising and it 
it's sort of like everything about the packaging was insinuating that this man on the cover with this sort of paper crown and the shaggy gray eyebrows was was coming to get you somehow and then then you know um that you should be worried about this and it was it was yeah that was pretty rough that was a pretty rough experience to finally come out and print like that and kind of like not like to not be very happy with the book you you wrote or how how, how it looks i mean and, and looking back i realized there's things i'm really proud of, proud of and i did a lot of did a lot of research that made it into it, but I, uh, I have to say, I mean, I, I, <laughs> I'm I probably, probably, probably not being totally fair to bad moon rising. We have a, we have a funny relationship. It's, it sounds like it. it sounds like a complicated relationship. I, I have to say, I was blown away by it. Um, it's the, the amount of, of detail, the amount of research that, that has gone into this book is extraordinary. I mean, it's got, it's got 50 pages of footnotes at the end. Yeah. There's a lot of footnotes. There's, there's a lot. I mean, you, you, and this is the thing that amazes me is like you started from scratch and pieced together this story. So how, how did you get there? How did you start to piece the story together? Well, it was really weird. I, uh, so I went to Berkeley journalism school and, uh, I would afterwards, after working a summer job in a newspaper, I, I didn't have a job lined up and I was, I was sort of embarrassed about that. And uh, the one thing that had happened that led me to the Moonies um, was that a classmate of ours who was a little bit older and less naive was like, you know, the Dean of our school shilled for the Moonies. And I said, what, what does that mean? Cause we were sitting around kind of complaining about, about grad school and she said well what it means is that he gave a speech and took all this money to to talk about um to talk about his his area of academic expertise but it was but it was for uh it was for this group the unification church and and i, I said well i don't get it like what's wrong with that and and she was like well it it helps this like predatory group have credibility um that these these famous people will come will come speak in front of their events and so I, I sort of filed that away in the back of my head and um, months and months and months later I was I was sort of desperately trying to come up with ideas for stories that editors would would print and you know they were there I would come up with like really bad kind of ideas that people in their 20s would come up with like uh, you should we should write something about how mad I am about the new Hitchhiker's Guide book isn't isn't what it was promised <laughs> to be in the marketing or something, you know, something like that. I mean, it's a literary deception. Like I was like a young person that took myself very seriously. Um, and uh, I wasn't having a lot of luck and I was working at these sort of like out weekly jobs that weren't very good. Like looking out the window at, in a sort of crowded office full of um, old Macintoshes at like the, the merry-go-round area uh, in my hometown and the, uh, at this, uh, by the, by the um by the the harbor and you you could hear like nickelback coming up and i'd be like there has to be something better than this right <laughs> and so i found the uh i was you know at home one day googling and i started looking up the dean of my journalism school and the uh this like unification church website came up with him giving listed you know billed as one of the was it an actual unification church website or was it a, like a front group it was it was this guy that had like archived every uh, issue of the okay. unification church's newsletter okay okay and as i kept looking through the uh the newsletter and like googling names of like particularly politicians and and and, and republican politicians this thing was like a treasure trove of like oh my god who like who hasn't spoken at a unification church event who's one of our 
our elected officials. There's just so many people in there. Like, I don't, yeah, I mean, we could maybe redo that part so it doesn't sound like everyone did, but like just mm. this incredible number of, of, uh, of, and so, so anyway, so this, you know, this, this impulse to sort of like be mad at my journalism school, maybe we can, <laughs> maybe we shouldn't overplay that when this comes out. But I mean, I think really, you know, let's like setting the scene more than that. I was, you know, I was mad. It was like 2000 and, three and you know like I was mad about the Iraq war mm. and about the Bush administration and I wanted to you know I wanted to somehow strike a blow against the against the, the Republicans and uh, and maybe pitch something to a liberal magazine like Salon that that would that would want that kind of content and so um and I, I think at the same time I was looking into like the faith-based initiative which was this uh, George W. Bush policy to uh to, to chuck taxpayer money at religious groups, mm-hmm. which I thought was sort of maybe not the best like way to interpret the first amendment. And, um, and I sort of reasoned that like, well, I bet some really weird groups are, are getting money. And, and mm-hmm. I ended up reading about this um, unification church um, abstinence education group, yeah. free teens USA yeah. that had gotten a big taxpayer grant. So yeah. I sold that, that story to, salon magazine but in the meantime i had this like secret identity on the web um and this was sort of the era of the bloggers sorry i hope this isn't too many threads no no no, it's um, good i feel like this context is really interesting okay i think the context really needs to be set up and i think yeah. i hope this isn't like too out of order when you when you edit it back together no, 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 but no, i, I think, think so that, that a big part of it was um you know at the same time that it was really hard after the crash of like 2000, 2001 to find a newspaper job, people were doing these amazing things on, on these kind of just like gaudy websites that were like, you know, somebody would have like this orange and yellow website where they were posting stuff about X, about Enron or about, you know, different things like that. And I sort of was really into the idea of being like an anonymous Avenger Mm. superhero who was like, you know, by night I could be posting stuff about some group on the, on the web. And it was like, I think I was really inspired. There was like a group posting about some of the first stuff that was starting to come out about Scientology on yeah. Zenu.net. Okay. And I was, I thought that was so cool that these people were like basically like chucking rocks at this like frightening yeah. cult. And I thought, yeah. you know, what better way to try to be like a, you know, to sort of like validate my existence as a young person and to like, why don't I start a fight with some sort of like large, powerful organization while, while hiding behind some ridiculous internet name, which was uh, Zed Zardoz, I think. From a, that was my, that was my anonymous name. And that was Mooney World. And I think as soon that was as the name of the website, it was called Mooney World. Yes, I and, love it. and it was like, it was really sophomoric and just full of like, really, really, I don't know. It was really silly. And as soon as I started getting like a real magazine interested in, in unification church stuff, I was like, Oh, I better like, I better like hide this and try to come back as a professional person. And I, <laughs> I started, I like, I deleted the blog and started blogging at my, at like my last name.net, which, mm. you know, and tried to try to make it seem a little bit more respectable, but I'm sort of like, you know, and I think, I think what's amazing to me is that this is very much something that like started as a, a 20 somethings thing out of his childhood bedroom and soon was being taken like way too seriously by, <laughs> by like, I think Washington Democrats who were kind of in the market for bogeymen that they could, mm. they could use in like, you know, raising money for, for political campaigns. And, and frankly, 
um, you know, an issue that they could bring up without having to be particularly left wing or changing mm-hmm. their, you know, their views about student debt or anything like that. It was like, you know, the Center for American Progress and these, these sort of think tanks and that are sort of like, you know, hey, we can we can put Reverend Moon on the cover of the American Prospect and be like, oh, this guy's coming to get you. And, mm-hmm. and uh, I think recently I, I started writing about my experiences. And I think one of the most difficult things to come to terms with was it was sort of like uh, live by the bogeyman, die by the bogeyman, because I think, I think originally I thought it was being very clever um, by being like, Hey, you know, all of these right-wingers are getting all of this attention by, by whipping up um, people's fear of people like George Soros, who they could say, you know, these, this guy is, this billionaire is backing your, your, your democratic foes. Well, what about, mm-hmm. what about this billionaire notorious cult leader and you know what was sad and frustrating is i think over the years as i got more and more into this project i wanted it to be i was like hey this could be like an actual like nonfiction piece of journalism that's like good and has nuance and is like you know finds the dignity in 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 people who are in this story even if they're even if they're you know a having their lives controlled by this, you know, this abusive cult. But I, I think that, um, I think that the one thing that I bit off more than I could chew on was all of the forces that started to propel this story um, in the kind of the political blog world where the forces that were just like, Hey, we could use this Reverend Moon character to drum up some sort of like, Oh my God, aren't, isn't the other side terrible. Mm-hmm. And I think that ended up kind of being at cross purposes with like, let's do good, good nonfiction journalism. Okay. And so by the time this thing came out at Barnes and Noble and was like stacked up in front and it had this just like, Oh my God, he's coming to get you marketing. It was like, you know, like on the one hand, it was like, Oh my God, I didn't want the publisher to make it seem like such like a dark conspiratorial thing but on the other hand i was kind of i was kind of reaping what i was sowing by by you know going on all these blogs in the early 2000s and being like hey what about this what about this guy you should pay more attention yeah. to this freaky um cult leader and like the thing is that i don't mean to like downplay how like le- you know legitimately like frightening and um effed up and and abusive and and uh multi-tentacled this whole organization is yeah I mean, well, but it was a really it was a really hard thing to to to, to sell to the non-fiction world honestly. i mean i think you've done a you've done a great job of trying to pull those tentacles together in this book that i mean that's Thank you. that is a difficult thing for an insider <laughs> to do let alone an, an an outsider and i actually i just want to read the forward to the book to sort of sort of set the set the scene cool. uh and i may have some more okay specific bits in the book that I want to address, but um, hear me cracking this thing open. Um, by the yeah, way, I had, I had to, I had to take the cover off. Yeah. <laughs> cause it, the cause cover that, yeah, we both have different reasons for hating the cover of this okay. book. It's just cause it has moon's face on it. And, and I fucking hate that guy. You just uh, can't, so I just you can't just can't like have so, that guy looking up. Yeah. So show. now for people who are watching the video, I just, I took the jacket off. and. So but see, to like, me, that makes the book look better. Cause it looks sort of like, it, you know it kind of like it's like it's like a clean 
modernist kind of yeah oh, white it, thing, like you know? this without the, yeah because yeah, like it looks, good, like, it looks good like that just black and white nice. i think it looks yeah. better because yeah. i think i think i got interested in graphic design literally because i hated the cover of my book so yeah. much because <laughs> it was just like i just i didn't have the the graphic design education to understand why but it was like okay something about this book just looks just looks like yeah i don't like it yeah. and it's sending the wrong message and it's it's yeah yeah and we can talk more about that later all right the cool. kind of people who so okay, I'm going to read this forward. Who who wrote the forward, by the way? Uh, the forward was by the Reverend Barry Lynn, who is from an organization called Americans for the Separation of Church and State. Okay, in Washington D.C. Okay, cool. Uh, all right, and and this book was this was published in 2008, right? 2008, that right? during the election. Yeah. During the, okay, okay, got it. Okay, um, cool. So I'm just going to read this forward now. Uh, like many people, I learned about the Reverend Sun Myung Moon. After encountering a few of the legions of flower-selling young people his Unification Church unleashed on American streets in the mid-1970s. As a member of the clergy, I could not help but be interested in the phenomenon of what appeared to be a fast-growing church with an emphasis on proselytizing college students. The emergence of the church raised provocative questions. The civil libertarian in me was wary of how some reacted to the Moonies in those early days. There were calls for curbs on the group's right to preach and controversial actions by deprogrammers who abducted adults who had freely joined the church and attempted to compel them to renounce unificationism. The panic died down as the 1970s drew to a close. Moon's flower sellers largely disappeared from city streets. The church assumed a lower public profile. The deprogrammers moved on to other groups. But even as this, as this but excuse me, but even as this was happening, events were unfolding behind the scenes that would prove to be a more interesting chapter in the Moon saga. Slowly but surely, Moon began to ingratiate himself into the conservative power structure of Washington, D.C. Moon used his considerable fortune to bankroll the Washington Times, an ultra-conservative daily newspaper that began publishing in 1982. President Ronald Reagan called it his favorite paper. (laughs) Yeah. Moon also created a desert. Moon also created a dizzying array of right-wing organizations that became conduits for his cash and sorry, Moon also created a dizzying <laughs> Moon also created a dizzying array of right-wing organizations that became conduits for his cash and vehicles to buy influence. He became a type of giant ATM for the far right. Several conservative leaders were unable to resist the lure of this funding stream and drank deeply from it. Over the years, religious right leaders like Tim LaHaye, Jerry Falwell, Falwell, Jerry Falwell. Gary Bauer, Ralph Reed, and others have taken large checks from Moon. Political leaders like George H.W. Bush, Gerald Ford, Jack Kemp, William Bennett, Dan Quayle, and others have taken Moon money to appear at conferences. We're going to talk more about that later. One of those dudes wrote Left Behind, or possibly two of them. Tim LaHaye. Is he the guy that wrote Left Behind? Yeah. That's the that's the 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 Christian book about yeah, the rapture. Totally. Yeah. Jesus. He, <laughs> that guy. Okay. That guy. Uh, I was wondering where I recognize his name from. Ironically, at the very time Moon was at the height of his power and influence, most Americans thought he was yesterday's news. Yeah. Yet Moon groups continued working quietly on a number of projects, always with the agenda of promoting Moon's theology and politics. Even something as innocuous sounding as the Moon-backed Parents Day, yeah. which hey, I think uh, could be today, what day of the year it is. Yeah. Uh, uh, ostensibly a national holiday to honor America's parents <laughs> takes on a different cast when you realized that Moon and his wife consider themselves the 
true parents of humankind. But all, you know, you see how like, just even thinking about this, it's like, it, it just sounds like so, so conspiracy nut ish to just be like hey did you know that there's this holiday parents dance actually backed by the moonies like i just <laughs> you know after a while i just could not deal with stuff like yeah, and that. it's fucked up because they think they're the true parents yeah but now we're like they're becoming our parents by yeah. that by this yeah but it's just it's, even just explaining it to people it's just it's like, like you just lose it's, it's just like engineered to make you lose your mind describing it yeah you know yeah exactly i think it's no accident yeah i agree i agree and we'll, we'll come back to that um Okay, I'm, I'm going to continue reading here. Moon and his minions touch <laughs> our lives in ways that most Americans don't even realize. See, I still, and- I still don't totally feel comfortable with that framing. It's funny. It's like I think. Let me know. Okay. Let, let, let me know just as an edit okay. thing if, yeah. if I'm talking over you too much. No, it's way. fine. It's fine. To... No, no, no. It's I was fine. just. I, I want to be gonna... like a lot of back and forth is good. Is that? Yeah, that's yeah. what I figured. Yeah. I was just going to say that. Um, you know, I think that I at the time when I wrote this, I I didn't really. I didn't really know the importance or appreciate the importance of like really wrapping up what the takeaway is and what it's not and mm. saying what the book is and what it's not. And I think I ended up being uncomfortable with even people who blurred the book. Um, and even, and even here, like, I just, I feel like saying moon that Moonies touch our lives. Like I love the Reverend Barry Lynn, but I feel like even that is just a shade to conspiracy-ish for me but i don't even know if i'm if this is just me just being overly sensitive about the reception of the book like i feel like yeah it's like maybe if you're maybe if you're in washington dc the washington times touches Mm. your life every day um you know as far as i'm concerned it was just like this is a story about a really like weird bad you know person that had tons of money and and isn't it weird that he wrote the Washington times and I mean, I mean, published the Washington yeah. times and, and, uh, and I feel like it left a lot of room for interpretation that I should have mm. done the interpretation. Uh, okay. Other people kind of came in and were like, you know, moon's rise to power is something that touches us all. Like I've just, I've just gotten allergic to that kind of thing. Yeah. I, I, maybe it doesn't touch us all, but I feel like it has had lasting ramifications. And it's true. I, I, I agree with that. I, I don't think my own my own personal opinion is that without the Washington Times, you wouldn't have Trump and we wouldn't have QAnon. It's certainly the, possible. The, the discourse just wouldn't be that far right. And actually, just on that, let me read you okay. the, the the next paragraph here. Um, uh, actually, continuation of that paragraph. So Moon and his minions touch our lives in ways that yes. most Americans don't even yeah. realize. <laughs> As the disputed 2000 election played out, disputed, yeah, Moon okay. Front Group sponsored a series of unity rallies that were huh. really designed. I forgot about this. Yeah, neither I had forgotten about this. Yeah. That were really designed to get people comfortable with the idea that George W. Bush was the legitimate winner. Yeah, Moon-backed organizations relentlessly promoted Bush's so-called faith-based initiative. In what might have been a quid pro quo, a Moon division called Free Teens received federal That's faith-based right. funding to teach young people to remain abstinent. Thousands of teens have attended this training with their parents, not even realizing the moon connections. They used to have this really creepy website that said uh, in a really strange font, it was like, is her body really ready? Oh, that's <laughs> gross. Kinda, it was kind of weird. That is gross. But just, I just yeah. want to go back to this, like, 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 you know, <clears throat> the 2000, the yeah. election. Yeah. Let's, Brooks let's, Brothers riot. Let's not forget, like there was a disputed election in 2000. And the Moonies played a part in in in, in trying to, to influence the outcome there. Mm-hmm. And then yeah. fast forward to 20, 
fast forward to 2021, um, January 6th. That's right. Uh, we have Mooney, Mooney Front Groups, uh, again, trying to get involved in the throwing of and, and I, I think you made me aware of this because I've been just sort of trying to just not hear Mooney news for yeah. for several years. And and people were like, hey, did you know that they were part of January 6th? And I was like, what? Really? And yeah. Yeah. yeah that was, What's his name was there? The, uh, uh, his the son guy. It's his son. Um, yeah. Uh, he goes by Sean Moon. Sean um, Moon. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, like it's. I mean, they did. Yeah, they did. They did it once. Then they did it again. Now, and I am, mm. um, you know, I, I'm sure that they're still backing all the kind of like stop the steal type of shit. Uh, Absolutely. Yeah. Now, so, yeah. um, let me let me continue reading. I feel like this reading this forward is a good way to sort of frame yeah. it, frame your books, so people understand what it like what it covers. Um, Moon simply buys his way into religious communities all over the nation. His meetings have actually persuaded some Christian leaders to remove the crosses from their churches. We're going to talk about that, arguing that the actions of Moon have freed Jesus from that <laughs> symbol of torture and death. He brings imams and rabbis together for shows of unity at glitzy conferences that receive in-depth write-ups in the Washington Times, but mostly are otherwise unnoticed. I've been to many of these myself, personally. <laughs> wow. <laughs> All the while, Moon's theology has grown more unusual. He now openly refers to himself as the Messiah. This is when he was still alive. Yeah. Yeah. So he, yeah, he died in twenty. So he didn't call himself the Messiah at first. That's right. I forgot about that. He's like hinted at it, didn't he? I mean, I was like, always taught a he, certain someone I, from the I, Korean Peninsula is your Messiah. I'm not I, gonna. I guess I don't know. I was always taught that he was the Messiah. Okay. I guess maybe publicly at some of these events, he yeah. never came out and said it. But the teaching from day one for They're me like, was hey, this is the guy. He's, this this is the okay. guy. Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, he now openly refers to himself as the Messiah, although his supporters insist he doesn't really mean to assume the mantle of divinity. Moon operatives conduct, conduct sessions in the, quote, spirit world, yeah. during which dead presidents and other famous deceased U.S. and international leaders endorse Moon and call on all people to join his church. During one such event, Thomas Jefferson is reported to have said, people of America, rise again, return to the nation's founding spirit. Follow the teachings of Reverend Sun Myung Moon, the Messiah to all people who has appeared in Korea. There is no inconsistency between our founding spirit and his teachings. Yeah, I think I think at the time I was trying to convince the uh, the publisher to make the dead presidents a big part of the marketing for okay. the book. And they oh, like, that would have been great. They were like, what? Why? And I was because like, it was sort of a very hipster thing back then. Like in 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 New York, like if you were in Brooklyn, you know, there was just what was that? Um, it was before Hamilton, but there, yeah. you know, there was what was that? What was that musical? It was like rowdy, rowdy you know, to, uh, <laughs> to Andrew Jackson or whatever it is, like naughty Andrew Jackson. Okay. What am I thinking of? I don't know. I don't but know. It, it was, a, it was a very like hipster vibe kind of thing back okay. then. And it was like, I think, I think part of the, part of the rise and the fall of my, my Reverend Moon thing was kind of this like very generation X, like irony thing that I thought would be yeah. the answer where it was like, like, Hey, this is really weird. I'm not really going to say what I think it means, but isn't it really weird? And there's dead presidents talking from beyond the grave. And that's, mm. that's like an effed up thing you can tell people at parties. Yeah. about. And I like, didn't quite like, I might be doing the research a little disservice here, but that was like kind of the spin on it. It okay. was sort of like, okay. It's like, Hey, you know, Hey, there's dead presidents. And it's, isn't this hilarious and strange that there's this, you know, and that 
And as we've talked about, we were talking about like, there's something about the unification church that's just like such a strange, such a difficult note to hit. This a combination of absurdity and, and cruelty yeah. and just like tragedy. And, yeah, it is. And also, also that it's hilarious and strange yeah. that they, you know, sponsored a machine to speak with the dead. Yes. And, the, <laughs> and, you know, and there's this organization that I called Wrist. I yeah, found some be, notes. For you like, mentioned that in the book, actually. Yeah. I don't know how deep I got into it. I think yeah, it was like it was... an outtake that I found on my computer the other okay. day uh, when I was getting ready for this interview. And it was like, oh, hey, I wish this had made it into the book. It was like Wrist, the World Research Institute for the study of technology. And it was like this, I remember at one point researching the book, like my buddy and I had, had stopped by some warehouse in, in like Queens. And it was like wrist listed as wrist headquarters. And I went up the stairwell and it was behind like a Korean language printing press. And it was like, some lady was, I was like, was there, I was like, is for wrist is wrist still here. And she was like, no, they moved to California. And, uh, <laughs> and I just couldn't like, I just, I just like make apps now, you know, I just, like reading this. I was like, wait, I used to just have this like weird life looking into this stuff. Like what was I doing? It was so weird. It was just so weird. It was so weird. And then all these people came along and said that I, that I was talking about minions who were controlling things. And like, I didn't want it to be that way. But mm. anyway, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> sorry. It's all right. It's all right. It's all right. Uh, yeah. No, that's hilarious about that that wrist thing. That, like uh, that was the stuff that I lived for. Which yeah. was just like, how weird is this thing going to go? And the deeper you get into it, oh, the weirder. it will go. It will never. It's, there's so much weirdness yeah. I didn't even get into. Yeah, yeah, completely, completely. Um, I'm just gonna go a yeah. little, little bit further here. Uh, sorry, Moon can believe what he wants about theology, of course, but in the case of the Unification Church, there is often an attempt to promote a public policy expression of what are. I think most fair observers would concede fairly esoteric beliefs. <laughs> this is where the problems begin. Yes. It's never enough for Moon and the Unificationists to believe what they want. They constantly labor to convince the U.S. government to endorse those beliefs. Yeah. Thus, March 23rd, 2004, saw the occurrence of a bizarre event at the Dirksen That's Senate right. office building in Washington, where Moon and his wife, Hak Chahan, were proclaimed king and queen of America. Wearing flowing robes reminiscent of Middle Ages kingly attire, <laughs> the moons had golden crowns placed on their heads during the ceremony, which was attended by a U.S. senator and several members of the House of Representatives. I've typed those words so many times, like trying to find a fresh way of saying, you know, that in various articles, trying to trying to milk this thing over the years. You know, being sort of like, you know, the crowns were, yeah, so. Did, okay, so, okay, <laughs> Sorry, I'm going to, I'm actually, I'm not going to, like, um, yeah okay so i'm gonna i'm just gonna kind of like fast forward through this so your yeah. book focuses heavily on this event yeah um, that was sort of the, the news was, hook it was kind of that's kind of the hook school. for the yeah. that's kind of the hook for the book but so i'm actually not going to read read the, the the rest of this just in interest of time um but actually i feel like this is part this is interesting that moon is no sideshow nor is he a has-been no his theology calls for the merger of all religions under him um Thanks to his vast fortune, Moon has been in a position to create organizations that have influenced conservative political thought in a way that few conservative leader that few conservative leaders are willing to admit. Moon won this influence the old-fashioned way. He bought it. And I think this really gets to the heart of your book is, and I, I would urge anyone who's interested in this topic to read this book because that, that's what it's about. It's about the the connections of all these organizations and how they, how they peddle influence. Uh, 
and how that leads to you know moon being crowned king of king of america on the March 23rd, 2004. But I think, yeah, I think the key distinction, and the thing is I was such an inexperienced journalist back then. And, you know, just like, I knew how to write about simple events like a murder or, you know, the Thanksgiving pageant at the elementary school yeah. or like, you know, an interview I did with Ray Bradbury. You know, did about you his, speak to Ray Bradbury? I did, yeah. Oh, I, that's awesome. think, I feel like I got on his nerves by like... <laughs> dragging it out too long he was like i think that's enough don't okay. you oh that's awesome but uh you know but i didn't i didn't like have the language to talk about influence peddling and mm. and things like that and just oh it was just so weird and like i think i think if if i redo this book ever i think that the distinction that i wish i had made a little more clearly was like it's so hard to talk about buying buying attention and influence and, and legitimacy and credibility with out implying that the person is somehow buying powerful control of things, you know, and I think a lot of people that heard about the book thought that I was, I was arguing for the next step, which was that oh, Reverend Moon is actually, you know, deciding what, what the Republicans are going to do and that he's responsible personally for what's in the news and like what made it so hard like I think even like one of my one of my best sources was sort of a conspiracy guy and we really disagreed on this stuff and he was just such a an amazing source of like video footage from the church over the years Mm -hmm. and um you know he put me in touch with really interesting people and he was a great guy but he was furious when the book came out that it wasn't conspiracy-ish enough. And in okay. his words, he was convinced that that Reverend, because Reverend Moon has all of these front groups, like yeah. the unific, like the, what is it, the Family Federation for yeah, World Peace. Yeah, I'm going to come to that in a second. I'm actually going to read a passage from the book about that. And one of them, he was, he was like, listen to Reverend Moon's speeches. This one group of his is actually like the culmination of all of them. And just because he's reorganized the names into this one, the I I I can't remember. Like, no, it was the in our religious federation. So, no, it was that. the I think it was the one that sounds like Star Trek because it, it, they have the United Federation of Planets. <laughs> this was the UPF, <laughs> the United Peace Federation. Oh, yeah, or the Universal Peace Federation. Universal yeah, Peace Federation. Sorry. And this guy was just like convinced that you know the UPF is 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 the is gonna have this army and that I'll, I'm I'm probably doing a disservice to his his beliefs, but he was like really angry that I didn't like come out and say, hey, watch out everybody for the UPF. Mm-hmm. And like it was just yeah, like and in my mind I'd come out I'm, uh, the book came too too close to that that kind of interpretation. Yeah. And I guess I kind of I, I I I tend to agree like if you think of you know like yes hundred percent agree that moon like shifted the dialogue right word right word he he had influence among see i don't even like i don't even feel comfortable completely okay i feel like he he like all i can really really like you can i can speculate but i think all i can really a hundred percent say is that there were people who needed money for advancing fringe right-wing ideas that he poured tons of money into into yeah. their efforts and I would always wonder, well, maybe if it wasn't for Reverend Moon, they would have found some even sleazier source of cash somewhere maybe. out there. I don't yeah. know though. I don't know. I, don't know. I, don't I think, know. but I would always try to just for the sake of just for the sake of playing it as close to the footnotes as possible, yeah. I would always try to try to steer clear of anything that implied that Reverend Moon was um 
was like shaping the shaping the tactics of the, of yeah, the right or I anything like is, that. Like the even thing, the like, New Republic got in touch with me once and was like, "Hey, do you want to write an article about how everything the Republicans learned came from Reverend?" Yeah, and and like, this, is, no. this is the thing. I don't. Think, you know? I, I think it's more yeah. like. Um, like you know, you mentioned the Iraq War earlier. I don't yeah. think I don't think Reverend Moon told Bush to go to war in in yeah. Iraq. It wasn't he's like, like don't, it, don't like, believe the weapons inspectors. Yeah, like, so, like no, no, he's right. not. That, that, that's yeah. not the level of the conspiracy that we're talking about here. I just I feel like Moon's Moon's interests were a, aligned with the right wing, and they, he kind of he kind of moved in lockstep lockstep with them, gave him money along the way, but he wasn't he, he wasn't calling the shots. What I wonder though, and you know, we were talking recently, well, about the question of like, was Reverend Moon more coherent and less zany earlier in his life than later? Because what I think about when you say that is like when you say it cohered, you know, that it aligned with Moon's agenda, when I, when we say Moon, do we really mean the organization of the Unification Church rather than Mm -hmm. this one guy that's giving these like raving speeches about the, you know, the sexual organs are concave and convex. And it's like, I, I wonder, like, I just wonder how, how, uh, how tuned in Reverend Moon was to anything in in reality during his life. I I think, I think he was quite shrewd. I think, think, I think he was very, Communism. You don't think it was just his his lieutenants that were like, "Hey, we've got a good thing here." Mm, I don't think so. And again, I'm a little bit rusty on my own book I, here. So I, I, I think I, I think he had good lieutenants, good as in like helped him achieve what he wanted to achieve. But Colonel, Bo-Hipoc. I think yeah, Bohepoch, <laughs> which I you know, always sounded like Boba Fett to me. <laughs> it was just really so strange to me that I knew these these characters so well. Yeah. Um, but uh, no, I, I think I think Moon kind of I mean, he, he had he had intelligent lieutenants around him, but I think a lot of it was his I, was his idea. Um, and you would kind of I don't know. I, yeah, I just don't I just don't know. I remember hearing these stories, and I, I mean, obviously, who knows who knows yeah. but if it's true? But it's like you know. I don't know. Bo he- Bohepoch is like his right hand man. Would be like, sorry, I'm just like it? picturing Empire Strikes Back here. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. I, I I should say that I saw your son's like amazing Kylo Ren Lego. Oh yeah, he okay. built a while back. Yeah, I'm sorry, <laughs> I Star Wars has been on my mind. Um, but um, <laughs> right. well, no, just a couple of things. So I, well, actually, I remember you and I were talking about like I feel like Moon is like a combination of like. Um, Darth Vader and uh, yeah. and Baron Harkonnen. Yeah, because I just read Dune for the first okay, time. Good. I'm a big fan of like the. It's a great book. Um, the really super grotesque David Lynch version of the Baron. I'm yeah, a big fan of. yeah. yeah I feel like similar... Moon is Moon is kind of similar. Yeah. Um, um, but um, oh, where were we? What were we talking about? Um, I think I just had such a like a, an extreme reaction to the way the book was interpreted that I've just like really, really, really been been cautious of anything that suggests that Moon was like scheming or anything i think particularly is like the more i thought about why it made me uncomfortable the more i thought about the sort of trope of like fu manchu and Mm. the way that the way that uh, there's this sort of uh there's this sort of you know problematic idea of like the you know the sinister genius from the the sinister genius from the east who's who's pulling the strings and shocking us with his depraved ways. And that's like, I think that, I think the most comfortable I was, I was ever at was just sort of suggesting, well, this is a, like the, like the, the or at least the part that I was willing to, to explore was the idea that it's like, actually the conservatives are conning this cult into thinking that they love him in order mm. for him to, 
to to give them tons of cash so that they can yeah. be like, yeah, okay, yeah, we really do think you're you've you've changed people's views of of, of parenting and that you're are, you know that you're a genius. Just you know, yeah. thank you for the three billion dollars for the Washington Times. Like I'm aware that I think that's an oversimplification. Yeah, but I think that I've I've tried to like maybe stay closer to that because I think again I, I was just so mm. I felt so upset when the book came out and people were emailing me and they were like they're like hey there's chemtrails and like Reverend Moon is part of this like UN okay. thing and <laughs> there was some guy there was some fucking guy um I hope you don't mind like cussing anymore. no that's no, fine it's there's fine. some guy like yeah. this pissed me off so much there was a guy who footnoted me a bunch Oh, yeah, that's right. I'm like calling this guy out on a podcast. <laughs> do people do that on podcasts? Um, uh, you can on this, this one. There was this want. guy that um, there was this guy who like footnoted me in a book about globalists. And I okay. think this was a time before like I was not familiar with this idea of globalists yeah. that we now know is part of like a sort of offensive like nazi conspiracy anti-semitic kind of thing that we have now but but this dude wrote a book like some guy he's also he's a i'm just gonna fuck it i'm just gonna go off on this guy there's this guy like me a computer a software engineer somewhere out there and he wrote a book his name's lee penn and he wrote a book and it was called like the new dawn and it was about the the un and um and it like claimed it like used my book to support the idea that there's some sort of like sinister like new age movement that's yeah. trying to unite all the religions yeah. and like oh my god like if you're a christian you have to watch out for this thing and on the cover it had like the, the earth rising like it had like something rising over the earth because like you know like having worked at like a local like community television station in my college town like that was always a sign that it was like wacko television yeah. it was like there's some sort of like picture of that <laughs> some sort of picture of like the planet earth and it's like that was like anyway i wanted to be so far from that kind of thing yeah. like i think that you know i just like yeah, as like an obnoxious like person in my early 30s it was like no i want to be one of these clever people at npr that like says um and and people think they're like nerdy but but cool <laughs> like that was sort of what i wanted to be so bad and like i was so mad when it was like yeah when it came out and it was like here's you know, like, oh, I love how your book made me feel better about thinking that Koreans are secretly running the world or something. Like, oh, I was just so upset about yeah, that. Yeah. yeah. Including um, people who are like struggling with probably personal issues, but like, yeah, you know. Yeah. I oh, know this is the thing that I want to say earlier is that I, I do about Moon calling the shots and like how yeah. manipulative he might, may or may not have been. I just, I remember hearing these stories and, and, but again, who knows, maybe, maybe this is a, is a complete fabrication, but I mean, I heard a lot of shit about yeah. Moon growing up. In oh, yeah. Um, but I do remember these stories of of him kind of like um, you know calling up his lieutenants, like calling up Bowie Park in yeah. the middle of the night, and being like, "Oh, I, you know, last week I told you we need to do this, but no, today we're doing this. We're completely yeah. switch. You know, I told you we needed to. Yeah. I, I don't know, build build cars in North Korea. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, this week we're going fishing wow. in Alaska. Like, just he would complete like, like he had this kind of." almost like a sense just just kind of like erratic like decision making where he would just call people up and just say like this is what we're fucking doing that's right trump like but it's kind of like it's it's kind of like trump yeah did you feel like he had like he switched gears between like you know i'm gonna i'm gonna be like mr practical and plan the car factory but now i'm going on stage i gotta enter like mystical mode and just say a bunch of just like bizarre stuff about the four foundations and the so sexual organs this is this is really interesting. or did he deteriorate and to make weirder and weirder speeches so 
I don't know what he was like behind closed doors because I only saw him at these speeches. Um, at, like sometimes in like a, pub- a public setting, like at hotels and, yeah. and like all these like ambassadors for peace things, which we'll talk about later on. Um, sorry, I'm just <laughs> still cracking up about like, calling out this dude on the. I'm sorry. I hope you don't mind my cracking. Like, like the idea. I think I I just love like the idea of like a podcast rivalry between yeah. me talking this book and this guy this poor guy like bless him he probably is like a very he's probably a very like observant you know like like churchgoer and stuff who just happened to feel that that reverend moon was threatening but i just i don't know any other way i don't know any other way to just be like i have to distance this thing that i spent so long on from your like ideas about satan and stuff like it's just I just wanted to, I just wanted to like write some kind of like nerdy Louis Theroux thing. Like it wasn't supposed to be, but I didn't know what I was doing because I was young and silly. <laughs> this is therapeutic. This is funny. <laughs> Sorry. So, okay. Sorry. It's all right. But all yeah, right. so I, I guess all this, yeah, I mean, so I saw, I saw Moon in like either in public settings, yeah. like in hotels with guests, or I also saw him in like church events, like, like closed door church events where you know, only church members yeah. would, would be there. Um, I think he was equally erratic at both. Um, so then the next question is like, when he's meeting with his lieutenants to have a strategy meeting or something like that, what is he like? Is he still as bonkers? Is he speaking in the lingo or does he yeah. code switch? Yeah, exactly. You know? Does he completely? Is, but is, is it, it like a, is it like a uh, kind of a thing where it's like part of the, part of the religion that you go into a certain spirit mode that's different from talking business that's yeah, part i mean but like about. like part of the theology is like he can speak directly to god he can see spirits i mean spirit was there ever a sense he, can... he was just like this is him channeling when he's giving a speech and he's not just giving a speech no, like so so it was, it's interesting there were some people who would claim to be channelers like the people yeah. who got those messages from all the presidents the dead the dead yes. presidents those were channelers who were as far as i remember they were not reverend moon right um and they would somehow be channeling these messages but when moon was doing it it was kind of like this is from me. This, this is, is from me. It wasn't, it, yeah, it was, it was like his, his voice. Can we talk about the artificially intelligent generated Reverend Moon speech I sent you earlier? Yes. Do you, should I pull I, up I on thought, my phone? Yeah, I thought it was, so, this is, uh, you can go on your computer to uh, beta.openai.com and compose your own Reverend Moon speech. But, um, so how does this AI thought, work? So you, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a machine learning model. And you can type in a prompt like, "Please write a story about Frozen," um, or you could try. You could write a story about like, "I want the Fab Five from Queer Eye to go to the world of Frozen and try to make it make over the kingdom of Arendelle," and and it'll do it. It's really amazing. Holy shit! But awesome. I thought what it, when I told it to write a Reverend Moon speech, I thought what was so hilarious about it, and I think I think instructive. Like I, I actually have like a a serious reason to bring this up is that it it wrote a kind of a piece of public speaking that was very respectful to the audience. Mm. And it was like, hi, I'm Reverend Moon. I'm here yeah. to, to talk about the sexual organs. You know, thank you for your time. Yeah. And it, it kind of, by contrast, like made some things clearer to me about like, what is so like raving and strange about Reverend Moon's speeches yeah. that are just yeah. sort of like, they're not like, Hey, this is one guy's opinion. <laughs> you know, they're like, <laughs> oh. This is like, this is it. This is the only way to look at things. Yeah. We're here at the Washington times anniversary dinner and you know yeah f you um all right i'm gonna read this so yeah i I see the prompt write a reverend moon speech from the unification church talking about how the sexual (laughs) organs are concave and convex 
Right. Uh, hello, everyone. I'm Reverend Moon from the Unification Church. I'm here to talk about the sexual organs. <laughs> Most people think that the sexual organs are just simple body parts, but they are actually very complex and important organs. The sexual organs are concave and convex. Concave part, the concave part is the vagina and the convex part is the penis. The vagina is soft and gentle and the penis is hard and strong. That is something he would say. Yeah. Yes. Uh, I think part of it was actually <laughs> lifted probably from the unification net. The vagina is the place where the baby is born and the penis is the place where the baby is conceived. The sexual organs are very important organs and we need to take care of them and respect them. Thank you for listening. <laughs> That's the one, what's the one line that you won't get from an actual Reverend Moon speech, right? Yeah. It's like, thank, thank, thank you for listening. Yeah. Thank you for listening. Yeah. Like you've, it's, you've set aside some time. To yeah. come here it's to the speak. one where he's actually just being nice. Just, <laughs> just being, oh God. I absorbed so much like, like Reverend Moon speech stuff that when yeah. we connected, it was like, I had had this like crazy language in my head for all these years yeah. that I couldn't talk about with anyone. Yeah, no, that's what I remember you know, when you, I, when you, we started talking, I was like, oh my God, this guy, he talks like, like, how does he know this shit? I've read <laughs> so many like weird Reverend Moon speeches about the four, I can't even, you know. The four position foundation. The four position foundation. To, yeah, I, I could tell. The I could coming tell kingdom of Gian Yeah. Oh God. It did. This is, it's just crazy to meet someone who knows all this shit who, who like, <laughs> who got there like by choice basically <laughs> and i tried that- to forget about it and then one day about a couple of years ago i was on the i was on the underground and I, I was probably going to go work on my laptop on some computer program and i uh you know took my phone out and sat down under the like the david gandy ads for like you know well wellman like oh yeah yeah, I know what you're about, yeah david yeah. gandy it's like a mean look on his face yeah. i sat down I was looking at my phone and I was looking next to me and there was this guy about my age or maybe a little bit older reading a book and uh, he turned a page and I could tell there was something really familiar about the language in it. And it was, it was talking about like Chion Il Guk and the, and the, the coming kingdom of, of heaven in the Korean peninsula. And I was like, Oh my God, it's the divine principle. <laughs> oh my God. So the train kept going. And we got to our stop and I wasn't going to say anything. And, you know, people in London don't, don't yeah. talk to each other on the tube, but I like, I, I had my backpack kind of swung onto my back and I, I couldn't resist. Cause like, how often do you get a chance to do this? And I was like, <laughs> I wrote a book about that guy. <laughs> and he was he kind of looked at me and I don't know if, I don't know if he, if he knew what I was talking about or heard me in my weird American accent, but I headed out and, yeah, it's just every now and then there's a reminder. Mm, it's like yeah. true world food trucks yeah. go past. Them. Yeah, well, yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah, every now and then something something comes back up. Um, I wanna I wanna just go back to the um, to a couple to a specific point in your book. So uh, again, so people can, can kind of understand the the framing here. So um, this is literally this is page one of your book. <laughs> Um, yeah. Uh, page one, chapter one, Moon Behind the Curtain. Which is, you know, if I do a second edition, I'm going to change that title. Like, that's okay. one of those things. It's just like, yeah, like it's cute. It's Wizard of Oz. But yeah. I feel like probably some people read it and were like, oh, he's behind the curtain, just pulling strings. Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and I actually, I, maybe I'm being, th- maybe I was being thick, but I actually didn't even get the Wizard of Oz reference. Really. Oh, okay. So maybe that, yeah. that tells you something, something there. Um, oh, there's a curtain, you know, as he's hidden, he's like. Yeah, like there might be a Twin Peaks thing in there. <laughs> um, but yeah, I want to read a little bit of this so people kind of kind of understand it. Um, uh, so here we go. Uh, one chilly Tuesday evening, strange things were afoot in Capitol Hill. Bill, Bill and Ted's excellent adventure reference. 
Oh, amazing. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> How many other references are like, there in this book? Yeah, I mean, that's the <laughs> kind of thing that you're, you're like young people writing books do that. And they're yeah. like, it's like, as you get older, you're like, you know what? If you want to make a re- like, like say that it's a reference and then see if that works or not. But I think it was like, hey, this is going to be really clever. Okay. I, I didn't, I didn't pick up on it. Because it's like strange things are afoot at the Circle K, they yeah. say. Yeah, okay. And um, yeah. Okay. So. <laughs> The U.S. Senate was hosting a ceremony at the request of a wealthy elderly newspaper publisher who wanted official recognition as a majestic divine visitor to Washington. That's not bad. The, the, the Dirksen Senate office building made for an unlikely temple, a formidable seven-story block of white marble looming on a street corner diagonally across from the Capitol Dome. Its great marble pediment is inscribed. The Senate is the living symbol of our Union of States. On March 23rd, 2004... U.S. lawmakers were filmed here in a conference room paying tribute to the enigmatic Reverend Sun Myung Moon, then 84, and his wife, Hak Cha, 64. As the cameras rolled, two congressmen presented the Koreans with matching royal costumes. Wearing the burgundy robes and shining crowns, which crested into jagged golden pinnacles, the married couple smiled and waved for the cameras. Who was this self-proclaimed monarch? In the 1970s, the evening news had presented Moon, the ranting middle-aged business tycoon who wore flowing robes on special occasions as Korea's answer to L. Ron Hubbard, someone for college students to avoid luring thousands of young Americans into a cult in which they sold carnations on the street and married spouses he chose for them. But the media had moved on to other nightmares, leaving Moon forgotten to reinvent himself. Now time had wisened him into an elderly patriarch wearing an ashen face for his coronation. An orange Senate VIP name tag was still pinned to his gray suit were you there by the way or do you no, still have the video no okay. i just i just worked off of the okay. video i got okay. in touch with some people who were there and then at the very last minute they wanted me to remove them from the the manuscripts so okay. they got scrubbed out okay yeah, i didn't go okay I, I i looked at the the building later and okay okay yeah, crept around okay an orange senate vip name tag was still pinned to his gray suit peeking out from behind rows of curly gold filigree as he stood on stage at the head of a red carpet the King of Peace, the Lord of the Fourth Israel, the Messiah, he oh, called himself these days, and the publisher of the Washington Times. Though over a dozen congressmen attended his pageant, no one spoke a word of it to the press, not at first. By the time the secret was out and ABC News was broadcasting the strange sights, it was three months later. Summertime, and school was coming soon to the States. Grand, I love this, this, this part. The way <laughs> people try and fucking explain themselves is great. Grand parade marshals would drive teen queens and their bouquets around football fields. I think I was still, I think I still had some unresolved issues with, uh, with like high school. school homecoming. Uh, homecoming okay. Princess, but yeah. I know where, so <laughs> knowing where you're going here, yeah. it makes sense. But I, when I was reading, I was like, wait, why are we talking about homecoming? But then it, it'll make sense. I think I was, I think I was going for like kind of a Michael Moore kind of thing. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. And the helmets, uh, grand parade marshals would, would drive teen queens and their bouquets around football fields. And the helmets of varsity teams would crash through banners. And homecoming would not be so different, insisted two hapless congressmen from the Reverend Moon's rights, which had become a scandal. People crown kings and queens at homecoming parades all the time. The that liberal, is pretty great. The liberal Chicago representative, Danny Davis, Democrat <sighs> from Illinois, said, I mean, that's fucking classic. Did, wait, did he say that to you or, or were you um, going to the press? Because okay, this thing okay. created a, like my blog doing this thing with this video like it, there was a whole flurry of um of attention and and people calling up mostly danny davis and i mean okay. i think one of the ironic things to this whole thing was that it seemed like the it seemed like the liberal democrats 
that were involved were much more willing to talk to the press and be embarrassed about it. And then the okay. conservatives kind of slunk into the shadows oh, and didn't say anything. Okay. Except for Senator, who is the senator that ended up sponsoring the room? Um, uh, he comes Mitch, up late, Warner, later. Warner, John Warner. Yeah. And um, yeah. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah. And then there's another one. I remember the king and queen thing said GOP first termer Roscoe Bartlett, oh, Roscoe Republican Bartlett. from Maryland. Yeah. But we have the king and queen of the prom, the king and queen of 4-H, the Mardi Gras, and all sorts of other things. I had no idea what he was king of. I had no idea what he was king of. I was just going to put the crown on him. Yeah. That's right. Yes, they admitted it was them on camera walking in the procession with slow, worshipful steps, <laughs> bowing to the stage where the moon stood. Those were Davis's hands wearing white gloves to avoid defiling the embroidered pillow he carried, a crown bobbing on it to be laid on the brow of Mrs. Moon. That was Bartlett carrying the burgundy cape, carrying the burgundy cape for Mrs. for Mr. Moon's shoulders. Neither seemed embarrassed. The throne room itself belonged to the U.S. Senate, whose Rules Committee under Republican Senator Trent Lott from Mississippi had the final say in who booked rooms and whether visitors could be anointed kings in them. The name of the senator who had booked the room said one of the evening's hosts, the defrocked Catholic. George Stalling, sorry, the who name threatened me with a lawsuit over the book, but yeah. Oh, sure. okay, wait, I'm gonna read that again. But oh, say, sorry, say yeah, again. Sorry. yeah I, I got I said that wrong. The name of the senator who had booked the room said one of the evening's hosts, the defrocked Catholic bishop George Stallings, who threatened me with a lawsuit over the book. Holy shit, that was kind of before a lot of the abuse stuff came out, and he was, he was okay. Out. Uh, so sorry, just a, the, you want George, me to, oh, wait, wait, no, 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 that's fine, but um. George Stalling basically said that the name of the senator who booked the room was was quote shrouded in mystery. Shrouded in mystery, yeah, that's cool. That's so that's what Stalling said. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, I want to talk about Stallings. Um, so and I I have to say so actually I'm yeah because you did you meet him? I met this guy. I've met this guy. I've met this guy a few times. Um, and I have to say so okay. I'm actually can I fast forward a little bit in your book here? Yeah. Um, let me just make sure I got my notes here. Uh, let me know if I'm coming down too hard on this book. I, no, I no, kind of no. like roasting it. <laughs> like, like there's a lot of good qualities that it has. Yeah. Like, don't get me wrong, but like, there's just something really, there's just something really funny about kind of getting older and, and you can just see like the seriousness that, that you might've had going after something like this book yeah. at a certain age. And now you're just kind of like, yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. But. I'm actually, I'm going to, I'm going to open a new bottle of okay. wine and then, um, we're going to talk about Stalling. Okay. Um, um, uh, and I'll actually, so I'm going to do. Okay. Um, <laughs> Sorry, I think that's so funny about Lee Penn and his book about the globalists. <laughs> it cracked me up so much. That's like. <laughs> yeah, I definitely want to talk about this. Stalling. The Stalling, I want to hear more about it. I think it's hilarious. I'm actually going to. Um, yeah, so I think what I'll do is I'll probably just kind of I'll tell you what I remember the stallings, and mm-hmm. then I'm gonna read the part where you describe it. Okay. That was for me, that was revelatory to read to read that, like the read the actual fucking history of this guy. Yeah, it's um, um and I think a lot more came out afterwards, maybe, or maybe just that they settled, maybe he settled okay. it. Um I wouldn't say no to like a little splash more, okay. if that's okay. Yeah, of course. Just to, um at least oh that book was such a thing oh my goodness it was just yeah 
like I, when I hear that, um, that first chapter, thank you. Yeah. Something I became aware of through publishing is like how often it's like to keep an eye out for like a lot of times in a book, chapter one will be like, they spent a hundred years like polishing chapter one until it's yeah. really, really good. Yeah. And then like afterwards, it's kind of like, okay, we got the book deal. Let's write the rest really fast. Yeah. And um, hearing some of that text, I can just remember um, I moved to New York and was like trying to learn to write better and was, was at the, um, the, what is it the 42nd street public library it's in ghostbusters okay. at the beginning yeah, you know? yeah the big beautiful building yeah, yeah. with the lions and yeah. i was under they had this reading room and i was working on this stuff i was so inspired and it was yeah. like oh that's how you do it and i can recognize some bits in there that i really like yeah um, i didn't i didn't know how to structure an entire book though yeah. <laughs> but it's all right it's, it's just funny to me like i just i think we could potentially talk more about like the comedy though like just like the fact that I was at Zardoz and I was like, yeah. I, and like I, two years later, I'm just like, I'm going to pretend to be like the most, this is, I was trying to get into this in this piece I was writing, yeah. just this kind of thing of like, like I wasn't bad at writing, but it was like, I'm going to pretend like I'm like, like, you know, Bob Woodward and, mm. you know, and this is the most important journalism that you've ever read. Yeah. And it's like two years earlier, I was on, um, I was on like the unificationist, like, message board just like trying to start like really silly fights with people and just being like we're going to expose the moonies and you just wait till the american people find out about this that's great cheers i've I've never admitted that before i've said sorry i'm okay all right um well we can take it out later if you don't know it's fine it's it doesn't matter now i love the idea of someone especially someone who grew up in this shit i love the idea of some of an of an outsider just being like, you know what? I'm going to fuck with these people. Yeah. Because like, <laughs> yeah, they deserve to be fucked with. And yeah. they did deserve, 100% they deserve to be fucked well, with. Well, I think that's been kind of, kind of, I think part of the healing um, experience of like getting to know you and is, um, mm. I think for a long time, I like doubted whether I should have, like whether they deserved to have been fucked with. It was sort of like, not that they were a mm. good organization, but it was kind of like, yeah, I was kind of like, you know, was that really a, such a bad evil to be spending all this time yeah. trying to like mess with? And it's yeah. like, yeah, it is. Yeah, and I'm proud of it, but yeah, it. No, I'm. I'm you know what I mean? But it's it's. Just, I'm, I'm uh, grateful. I'm grateful that you did, and and I think. Oh, um, thank you, man. I I mean I so we're kind of bouncing around here, but I do remember. So there's a bit. I think it's at the end of your book. You talk about um, uh philip shanker oh yeah uh, you, you uh, played you played nintendo with his kid no no, no someone that's else i'll tell you okay. about that but i know okay. I, I like shanker okay. was like uh he was like so he was like a church leader when i was growing up but yeah. he's the guy who publicly he called you out and said <laughs> and said we should pray for oh John yeah Kornfeld. i was like really frightened yeah that. we could talk about this whole experience because that was a big dramatic part of the story it was like being in my little apartment in san francisco and i was like freaked out by like it really like maybe we could try to get across there really was this feeling like okay like imagine you're kind of an immature college graduate and you're yeah. like throwing rocks at the monster and you're throwing rocks yeah at it, and then it's just like yeah 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 because <laughs> yeah. you know it was like we could compare you to like coney 2012 did we talk about coney 2012 no. there was this there was this guy maybe we talked about it. there was like this christian about, kid yeah. like young christian dude in like 2012 and um, he became fixated on exposing this like African warlord. Yeah, I remember. Coney. I remember Coney. Yeah, but he, the guy, had like a had like a had like a psychological break while he was he was doing it. He like ran around naked in the street and stuff. But it okay. was like 
it reminded me uncomfortably of Mooney World. And then it was okay. sort of like, we're going to make this guy famous. Yeah. And like, we're going to, you know, I'm going to make this person infamous and it's going to change mm-hmm. the world by making someone infamous on a yeah. blog. But let me know if I, okay. let me know if I've been too like fucking with my own book too much. No, no, no. It's kind of, I feel like, I feel like it's quite, it's quite interesting, especially like, you know, it's been a number of years. Like, yeah. You know, you've got some distance from it. I think it's quite interesting. You know, most people when they when when if someone's if someone does a like a podcast like about a book, it's like they're just published it. Yeah, that's and what I was just, thinking and about. They're trying, to, they're trying they're to drive trying to sales. Talk it up. You know? You're trying to. It's just like I don't give a shit about the sales anymore. It's yeah. so, but although maybe I should be thinking about second edition, but I don't know. We'll see. <laughs> but I think it's. I feel like I've learned so much since I wrote this thing. And it's just, I just, you know, you can't go back to the person that you were at that age. Yeah. I can just yeah. Hear the, like, I, I totally, I totally love and respect that person who was trying to expose this corruption. But at the same time, there was this, this kind of like, there's something very sweet and naive about the, <laughs> yeah. the seriousness of it. And it was making me think about how, what a strange process it was to go from being just kind of like, just kind of like a young person just copying my parents' political opinions mm. about this and that and kind of, you know, very typical democratic, you know, people just talking about the stuff we talk about on the news and like suddenly, suddenly just like just this whole world of stuff that didn't, that didn't make sense mm. and um, trying to not sound like it was insane talking about it. Yeah. It was weird. Yeah. Sorry. I'm rambling yeah. about it, but like, no, it's all right. It was really, a, and so you can hear the struggle in the prose of like trying to, sorry, the sound of pretentious, but like you could, <laughs> you could hear like, I'm just like trying really hard to be like, how do I like sound like this is good writing, you know, sound like it's a reasonable thing to talk about and not like a UFO yeah. book, you know, yeah. while, while talking about this stuff. Cause yeah. I was like really afraid of, of coming off as a conspiracy theorist yeah. and then they got filed under, and then I have these yeah, emails I was got, like, marketed was like, as a conspiracy I was like book. can you guys take this out of conspiracy section please and yeah yeah it's hard yeah anyway yeah um live and learn yeah <laughs> seriously seriously um mm-hmm. but, uh, let's go to yeah let's sorry to, let me let you do the thing let's again. go to let's go to Stallings yeah um, I want to hear about because I um hold on, we make sure this is still yeah that's all good um so yeah, let's go back to stalling. So okay. specifically, okay. You pretty you have a, a so chapter four in your book, page 90. I have it marked mm-hmm. here. I'm the ninth- oh, and by the way, I love the thing about the title. So we have this chapter titled The Ninth They Replaced Jesus. And yeah. it's it just it's just funny. It it shows you how these you know the connotations change because like yeah. I hear replaced and now I think about Charlottesville. And it's like if oh. I were to redo this book, I'd be like, Yeah, let's not make it about replaced like they want to replace you like i was going oh, for this kind of shock value okay. but different kind yeah okay okay well yeah context changes over over time right at the Things time you know i think take on different meanings i thought i had discovered this magical ability to like maybe get every possible demographic offended by reverend moon like <laughs> people who for the right, i think every demographic should, should be, be right? right yeah for the record but like yeah because i but it was a it was like this miraculous like as someone that couldn't get any attention for any of my like journalism pitches, it was like, suddenly it's like, wait a minute, I can get like Christians upset about the fact that this guy wants to destroy Christianity. I can go on, you know, Michelangelo Signore's, uh, you know, show about gay rights and talk about like, Hey, this guy is like, you know, like, like virulently homophobic. And, um, but (laughs) Yeah, and I can hear that in the title where it was just like, hey, let's get some Christians really mad. Yeah. 
I'm okay. So, all right. I'm, I'm going to tell you. I'm going to tell you about about Stallings. Yeah. Bef- before I read this, the, the beginning of this chapter about him. So, um. So I grew up in the D.C. area. Uh, both my parents worked for the Washington Times. Um, and a lot of the people that you mentioned in the book, like the church leaders. Do they write for the I, Washington Times? I, they were both editors for okay. a magazine. That Insight. The, uh, no, there's no. another one okay. called The World and I. Which oh, was I, I remember The World and I. Okay. Yeah, I learned about these different. Okay. You know, like, yeah. So my like parents both, both worked for that. Okay. Um, uh, I was, uh, Insight was more like Parade Magazine. World and I ended up, I think it went through a few different iterations, but it ended up yeah. being something that they straight tried to sell to um, to schools as educational. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, I, this is uh, ringing a bell. Um, it's like the Weekly Reader. A bit like that. You know? Yeah, yeah, it was kind of like that. It was kind of like that, uh, but done on a monthly basis. Yeah. Um, and that's what they were, that's what it was. Um, so my parents worked there, but that's very much like they worked in the Times. Yeah. At one point in the Times building and at other points like in like, like a building just kind of like across the street, like part of the, part of the, the complex there. Yeah. So um, they're very much part of, part of that. Um, but so yeah, I, I grew up in the DC area. I left there in 2005 okay. uh, to come here to England. Um, and um, so I, I, I was, I was there for, for a lot of the events that, that are happening here. And then, uh, you know, lo and, lo and behold, I hadn't thought about this guy for a long time. And then I read this chapter in your book and I'm like, wait, this guy. <laughs> um, so yeah, I remember in, George Augustus Stallings. Right? Yeah, yeah, George. Yeah, yeah, and he just went by Spice. No, yeah, I think I just remember they they called them Bishop Stallings or Archbishop yeah. Stallings. And so, yeah, in the in the early two thousands, there was um, there what seemed to me to be an even more concerted effort by the Unification Church to try to to try to court. Yeah. black churches in the u.s um to, uh for whatever reason they felt like this was this is how they're going to find new members this is how they're going to find more um uh i don't know yeah they're just going to expand their reach and i felt like they'd kind of they had tried to do what they could do amongst the white community uh, the, the white christian community yeah. and they had a lot of influence there but they were just like intentionally trying to make inroads with the, with, with black churches was basically, that was the message that I was getting from on high was like, okay, this this is a priority. This is a priority for us. This is a priority for us is to do outreach work with, uh, with, with black churches specifically. I mean, one Um, of the things that I always think about is that it was just also had the side benefit of being this like kind of brilliant political strategy because it, mm. it kind of, clouded how much the unification church was like a right-wing yes you know group sponsoring a racist newspaper yeah and it, it was like no actually we're working with with the black community and they would yeah. get like civil rights legends involved yeah. and yeah. and uh and you know danny davis and uh and uh yeah things like that yeah and didn't, they, I, didn't they do some farrakhan stuff as well yeah well so do you remember um remember. do you remember that so so farrakhan did the million man march yeah uh, a few, either a year later or a few years later, uh, the Moonies and Farrakhan did, did it's like a greatest hits. Um, yeah. uh, they did the Million Family March. The Million Family March. Um, wow. And I actually, and that was in DC as well. I yeah. think I think I was there or I was there for like part of it or I took place in you some like March. secondary event or something like that. You must have seen um, some amazing stuff. There's, I mean, I so... I'll, I'll, <laughs> A lot of the the stuff that you describe here, I'm like, oh, I was either I was yeah. there or I was in like a carbon copy of that okay. event. Um, 
but so yeah like like for for stallings we'll, we'll, we'll read this this section in, in in a second but like um i remember it was like it, it was a big deal it, a big deal was made about stallings stallings coming to like joining the uc fold basically it's like this is a real guy we've got this is a real guy yeah. he was kind of like a big a big shot in the catholic church uh and he had this um and i didn't really quite understand it like um like a like a black catholic church i was like yeah. is that a thing it was uh, like he's incorporating rituals from africa yeah but like, but also yeah yeah, yeah. Like, like they would wear like african garb and yeah. stuff um and so it was quite a, it, it was a very eclectic mix but uh, you were like wait this is allowed in the catholic church well i mean I, of course the catholic church has a history of i mean i'm not a religious studies scholar but you know like in, in, yeah yeah what is the term for sort of you know working with local traditions and, and well, i don't know like assimilation like, <laughs> like, like well, yeah, sy- syncretism or something like that yeah. like in latin america they sort of you know yeah 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 uh, I guess, yeah, 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 I, yeah i'm not qualified yeah to, but um discuss yeah that. i know what you mean but it, for me it was kind of like this guy, and he was charismatic, to be to be honest. He's a great, and, um, really likable guy. Yeah, he was he was a likable guy, and so all of a sudden, like this guy Stallings, he started he started coming to like like to the DC church, and he would be there, like, and he, he would like kind of speak to the flock at the at the the big yeah. DC church that I, that I was going to with my family. Uh, but also we were encouraged to like go to his church. Okay. Uh, so I've, like Imani temple. Yeah. So yeah. I've been there to the, to the Imani temple in right. DC. Uh, and I went there and yeah, it was kind of, it was like, it didn't seem Catholic. It it did. It was <laughs> okay. It, it was <laughs> like, what is this? Yeah. This Cause so here's, so, uh, okay. Like I've been to like Catholic churches and I've also been to uh, a, a, a Ghanaian wedding um, okay yeah uh this was much more akin to a Ghanaian wedding yeah. than, than a traditional catholic service yeah. uh like just they had the music they had the african they have a wafer or anything they there was no wafer there was yeah. no like singing these old latin songs there was okay. like a gospel band playing pretty yeah. much it was like it was very different it didn't seem like catholicism yeah. this guy was so I, I don't he was he was changing it up and like and i don't know yeah, it was a splinter isn't it, isn't it officially described as like a splinter catholic yeah well so this is what i didn't so here's the thing the church pointed at him and was like and actually now just yeah. hearing what i've just said it's like there's no way this guy was fucking catholic um but the, to hear the church yeah. to hear the church say it they're like look stallings <laughs> has joined us he's going to get a wife mm-hmm. we're going to give him a japanese wife church. we're going to get that's a, right a massage we're, we're going to get we're, person right oh, wasn't she, I, like, she, she was like a masseuse Oh, I don't know. I, I don't know. Um, but <laughs> so they're like, they're like, he Stallings yeah. has seen the light. He wants yeah. to get married in the Unification Church. That's right. Um, and w- he's going to be like a like one of our biggest ambassadors. Yeah. Uh, and he's kind of like this rising because he star. was a rising star at one point. I think yeah. before before he had difficulties within the Catholic Church, yeah. I think he was very much considered this is like the future of yeah of and the this, archdiocese. And this is this is what was like this is what archdiocese archdiocese. archdiocese? Yeah, yeah, I think so. And, right? okay. and that's what was like that's how it was sold to me. Yeah, it, it, as a you know growing up in the UC, like this guy is one of you know he's like this is the future the black churches are, yeah. are where we're going blah 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 like, hey, this guy's great we fucking love him uh so much so that we're going to give him a wife um and then um and, and then, lo and behold then i read then i'm gonna then i'm gonna yeah. read read like Sorry. from your book basically so uh chapter four 
the night they replaced Jesus. Oh, and by the way, Stallings was part of some of these things that Stallings did was um, some of these events that Stallings was doing was uh, were, some of the events that Stallings were doing were, were these um, ceremonies where they would, they would try to convince churches, mostly black churches, to take down the cross That's right uh, outside their church. Uh, and this was meant to yeah. be like, I remember my dad telling me like, oh my God, isn't it so amazing? Like, <laughs> like it was Christians like, are taking, they're really like, inspired by it. Like, yeah, I, I like, think as a Jewish person, you know, I think I, I encountered people on unificationist for, forums that were sort of like, well, this is because the official message was like, this will reassure, this will reassure the Jews that we're their friends or something like that. Cause they're afraid of the court. They have this strange idea that we're afraid of the cross and that the pain will be healed if the cross is taken down. So, I mean, I remember some sort of internet debate where people were like, you know, what, like, don't, aren't you like reassured that, that we've taken down the cross and we can all, all religions can become one now. I was like, no, it's weird. Like I was like terrified by discovering this tear down the cross stuff. It felt like, like, Oh my God, like, am I allowed to see this? I've like crossed over into like the stuff that you're not allowed to see yeah, that you end I up could, dying mysteriously. After yeah. I, I, could, I could, I could see that. And, <laughs> and also, I mean, if you think about theologically what's happening from the, from, yeah. from the UC side is like, you know, they think that, that Jesus failed in his mission, right. in his mission, and they think that every single Christian in the world is wrong for worshiping Jesus and worshiping the cross instead of instead of yeah. me. They think everyone's got it dead wrong. Yeah, they're uh, distracted by this cross nonsense. Yeah, and I, I think that you know, it was it was fascinating to sort of like learn about how how maybe a maybe this message could be sort of filtered down to make it sound respectable from someone you know yeah. who's at the top level saying yeah. like damn it, you know, they must destroy the cross and yeah. make me look like but, the God. And then, at the, you know, by the time it filters out, it's like, it's like there's a re- somewhat reasonable sounding and, uh, theological excuse. Yeah. And, and, but the other thing is like, like the UC would, would, would take that one, there might be one Christian church that actually took down their cross. The UC would take photos of that and videos of it and blast it everywhere to, to all the members and be like, oh my God, look, everyone's doing it. Everyone's doing it. This yeah. is a wave of activity. Yeah. All the Christians are now bowing down to moon. They're, you know, they're heeding his call. This classic, this is, but this it is seems what like so do. much of that is related to how the church used all of the footage of politicians to, yeah. to make you think in the church that, you know, Hey, everyone, everyone loves you. Know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, and that's, that's exactly what they really did. Yeah. With the, these coronation ceremonies. Yeah. That's what they would do. And you talk about this in your book is like, sometimes these people didn't even know what was happening. Yeah. They would. And then, and then you, you, uh, you know, there's a passage here. We may or may not, may not read it where you kind of talk about how like it slowly dawns upon people yeah. what they're, what, what's about to happen. They don't know. And I've been in that room many times. Just, I've suddenly and, just and, like, well, I, I, I knew what was going to happen because yeah. I was in on, I was in on the joke, but I could tell the other people yeah. there, the guests that were there, they were like, wait, what is this? Yeah. Yeah. What's totally. happening here? And then all of a sudden, like they like it gets to the end and like moon is being crowned and people are saying, Oh, he's the Messiah. Yeah. And people, you see the looks on people's faces and they're like, the fuck, this is not what I signed up for. I think one thing I was trying to understand in the book though, is sort of like, well, this happened several times. So why didn't someone like place uh, Yeah. you know, one of the things I, I remember thinking, this is going to be a bombshell that was yeah. in the book, which was that, you know, that the, all these members of Congress said that we were surprised and embarrassed and stuff. And, and yet there was like, there were signs that they had done this before. Yeah. And, and yet no one had been like, Hey, let's, you know, let's have like an official rule now that we don't have coronations, <laughs> and, you know, no matter what, this guy's not welcome anymore. And um, I remember thinking like, Oh yeah, I can, 
proof that they were lying, but like nobody. Like the thing, mm. the thing I didn't realize, like I was so naive reading this, writing this book. I think I um I didn't quite understand that a lot of people are just happy to just be like liars, like mm. like well, people in Washington, yeah, Washington are just lying and it down. works, and it's like nobody's calling us out on yeah, it. We'll just wow. lie some more. It's That's fine. interesting. That's so I, I, I don't know. I was always yeah. I always remember there's this like clip of me that they use on ABC news. Cause I was, this was like the biggest thing in my life that like a, like mm-hmm. a news crew came over to my apartment and, and uh, they had this little clip of me going, congressmen are constantly getting duped. Mm-hmm. And I was like, yeah, I was like, wait, um, seems like they keep getting duped. Why? Like, why are they allowing this to happen repeatedly? They're probably not really duped. Mm. Um, but even in talking about that right now, I can hear like the seeds of like how someone could mishear that as a conspiracy theory yeah. and be like, they're all in on it. It's like yeah. Lee Penn's book. You know? <laughs> 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 sorry. It's just so amazing. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Okay, okay. We're going to read Let's, let's focus okay, on this. Okay, okay you're going to cut that. Okay, okay. Um, if you want. Well, we'll see. We'll all see. Right. Okay. The night of the coronation, May 23rd, uh, 2004, ABC yeah. News Senate correspondent Luis Martinez, new on the job, oh, yeah. remembers, remembers his interest being piqued around 8 p.m. when he spotted a man of some local infamy <laughs> lingering outside a Senate so this, event. This is the language that sparked a lawsuit threat from Stallings. Yeah, go on. <laughs> okay. okay. This guy. A man of some local infamy lingering outside a Senate event. This is the guy who I even thought was like, yeah, the, he the, thought he was just, he was, he was the man. Yeah. Lingering outside a Senate event with various holy men and catering carts. <laughs> it was the Reverend George Stallings. What on earth could Stallings possibly be doing here? That's pretty good. Stallings was a flamboyant DC priest whose sordid fall from the good graces of Pope John Paul began when reports reached the Vatican that this preacher, so often swamped by autograph seekers, had abused an altar boy. He was told to enter counseling. Instead, he rebelled, launched a failed boycott against the Washington Post for reporting the allegations, formed a Swahili-themed breakaway sect that spiced up the liturgy with dancing, and adopted a high-rolling lifestyle. The Catholic Church was simply racist, he told Ebony Magazine, and quote, my blackness can no longer tolerate it. In his new life, Stallings took to wearing a gold watch, a gift from the Reverend Sun Young Moon, for whom he had become ambassador to the wider black clergy. Black clergy. Moon had also handpicked a wife for him. The D.C. priest angered his parishioners when he told a local paper that he appreciated the Japanese That's ethnicity right. of his spouse because Asians, quote, don't party all the time. Wow. Jesus. Yeah, that was bad. This guy. It was all part of the Unification Church's drive to associate Moon, the marriage impresario, with their rebellion in the Catholic Church by priests asking for the right to take wives. Yes, I remember this. They kept saying this was like part, yeah. of, part of their thing was like, you know, the purpose of creation is to be fruitful and multiply. And like basically, you're talking about the, the Unification, unification Church. Church yeah, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Like the concave and the convex, like yeah. they need to be unified, even. Like therefore, like priests, yeah, shouldn't, even priests, should priests be getting, shouldn't be getting, like you know shouldn't be celibate. Basically. Yeah. Um. So yeah, Moon's drive to to associate with the rebellion in the Catholic Church by priests asking for the right to take wives. Yeah. Yes. Moon had also snagged Archbishop Malingo, a Catholic faith healer from Zambia, in two thousand one. Malingo, I remember this guy's name too. In his seventies, mm. had been assigned by Moon. A 43-year-old wife, a Korean acupuncturist. Maybe that's what I'm thinking mm. of. 
excuse me, but then recanted, telling the press the next year he had been drugged or brainwashed into violating his oath and succumbing to her skillful massages. Oh, okay. <laughs> That's pretty good. That is pretty good. It's like a massage that good. It's like a massage that okay. good just makes you give up everything you've ever sworn an oath to uphold. I love it. I love it. Uh, wow okay um so yes so this is the same stallings that i had been taught yeah it's like you know amazing like universally respected yeah universally respected yeah of course they um they take out the part about his uh settlement his settlement dalliances with an altar boy yeah etc um yeah yeah. and, and when the book was was just rolling out um Stallings had a lawyer send me a threat about it because I think I think there was one slight inaccuracy where I said I, I kind of loosely said like reports reached the Vatican yeah and uh, I don't know if the Vatican paid any attention to it okay. it probably doesn't really matter like okay. you would think they would read it when reports it, right? you yeah sorry you know, I mean, you're in the Vatican this is what office. it says here I'm reading yeah. it right now when reports reached the Vatican yeah that's the part so was that the, like, was that the part that was... I think it was like yeah no the Vatican didn't didn't really care or something that he did but was... that's the only part he quibbled with I think no, I think the abuse part he, that he 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 did, um, yeah. yeah. And uh, I I ended up calling up a, an old reporter who who was really brave, like bravely working on the Catholic abuse scandal yeah. story, like long before people were taking it seriously. Like, what was that movie called? Like Spotlight or something yeah. like that. You yeah, know? and he was kind of waging this lonely battle to expose some of this stuff. And I called him up and was like, you know, I'm really worried. This 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 priest is like threatening me with a lawsuit over this book. And like, I just want to make sure is this, is this stuff, tr- like, is there anything to this? And he was like, yeah, don't worry about it. Like it's totally, okay. totally well documented. And, okay. But yeah. So um, nothing happened. So you don't have to worry about falling out, getting a, <laughs> getting like a massive <laughs> judgment against you. I, I mean, think. I'm just going to point yeah. it back to the book. To yeah. Be honest. No, just, just say that. Just I heard it from then, Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, so I want to read a little bit more about this because I feel like it kind of like it kind of yeah. relates to some of the other stuff that we've spoken about. So um, meanwhile, in the Senate hall, the Reverend Moon sitting near the front with a red flower pinned to his tuxedo, <laughs> beamed and soaked up praise from the lectern where his cheerful American deputy, Michael Jenkins, I've met this guy as well, oh, uh, ushered in a successfully more cosmic and arcane series of lecturers to celebrate his reign on Earth. Listening to the droning speeches, the various Americans who traveled here from across the country to win World Peace Awards drank Diet Coke and picked at the remains of their dinners. So, so this yeah. is pretty good. I, I kind of feel pleased with that. Good, you should. Yeah. You should. But I wanted to. I wanted yeah. to just dive into this. So, so here, I believe you're you're referring to these um, uh, Ambassador for Peace Awards. Oh, the Ambassadors for Peace Awards. So yeah. they would. This is something that that the UC was doing. It was like you told me it was pretty. It was pretty much not that hard to get one. Dude, it was fucking. A it joke. was like it a, was a fucking joke. Yeah. So I. Um, my, <laughs> So just for context, like this was a way the church would would um, tell people that um, basically just to get people to come to events where Moon or his wife would speak. And the and the culmination of 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 that event would be them declaring that they are the messiahs Mm -hmm. Um, um, to get people to come to these events. um, They would be nominated to get these so-called ambassadors for peace awards. (laughs) 
And um, at first, I think it was meant to kind of start out with like sort of community leaders and sort of like Mm -hmm. religious type folks. That was kind of like what it was meant to start with. But they would just they would give these fucking things to any like somewhere any, along the the way like, they were like hey we're having trouble just we're finding having ambassadors trouble. for peace yes yeah, yeah, yeah so yeah just and so i actually remember this was actually after i moved to england my ex-wife's mother forced us to go to one of these events wow. um and uh we went and i and they were like in england in england yeah, yeah this was in england in maybe 2006 2007 something like that um it's in croydon actually i remember um and um we so my ex's mom invited two two like ambassadors for peace (laughs) one of the ambassadors for peace was a uh like a a housewife who like had was like raising two kids at home and i think the justification was like well she's creating peace in her in her home so this housewife was like okay i guess i'll go receive this award um the other one was this guy who was probably like 20 years old uh, and worked in a video store. Um, <laughs> go on. Yeah. I kind of want to hear this. Um, it's just like 20 year old video, video store clerk. And he, he was a, he was a refugee from, it was either Afghanistan okay. or Pakistan. I don't, I don't honestly don't remember, but it was, it was one of those places. Obviously came from a pretty shitty place um and was making a life for himself in the uk um did they have block had blockbuster just, here yeah this was right before right before the streaming revolution yeah. um uh and this was actually like a local lo- like not a blockbuster okay. but a local 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 video store um but yeah this guy like because he was a refugee from a war-torn country he was then given okay. this uh ambassador, ambassador for peace award peace. and so yeah I just, I remember going to this event and like these two people came there who had, they had no idea what the fuck they were getting, in, getting involved in. And then like towards the end, they were like, hand, they were actually brought on stage and given yeah. these awards and they just looked kind of baffled and befuddled. Like, what, by is the whole thing. Yeah. What, what is this thing? Um, and that's kind of exactly, that's actually kind of what this, this passage describes here. Do you feel like that the, the, the preachers in the unification church would turn around and tell the followers like yeah i think he was really into it yes right yeah yeah <laughs> then the next week then they'd go and they'd be like we had this amazing yeah. ambassadors for peace event there were 100 people there and they they all pledged their lives to moon they all they all walked out knowing that moon was the messiah and i guess this is the way a cult works that none of those guys not one of those people was going to be like like yeah I mean, this was kind of right <laughs> like what's going to be like <laughs> this wasn't that sorry i made it for those of you listening on podcast i made a gesture um <laughs> none of them are going to be like yeah that was it was kind of bullshit but like you know <laughs> yes exactly that that's exactly it yeah. that's exactly it so so the church will then point to that and then and this is what's happening with these events at the um like at the capitol um you know so let's say half of these senators and congressmen were duped half of them half yeah. of them weren't um but you know the at the end of the day like the church will then will then point to that and yeah. be like and be like you know look at these senators and congressmen they were bowing down they were there when moon was court was crowned king of heaven and earth uh, and see that's why i think it took me a long time to really like maybe too late in the into the pro- publication process to really find like the moral center of the story for me and i think it it's the idea that uh whatever you think of the, the rest of it 
um, we're talking about American politicians using their influence um, to to help a cult. Um, you know, wh- whether or not they're, they're, they're being duped, whether or not they, they know what's going on, although they have lot, lots of opportunity to find out what's going on if they don't want to turn a blind eye to it, that they're using this credibility to help kids be kept in a cult that's, yes. that's abusing them. Yeah, exactly. I, I, I think, think if I were to rewrite the book in a second edition, like I'm thinking of doing, I'm <laughs> sorry for like, that was like promo uh, for that. No, but good. like, I no. think um, if there's something I would change, it's, it's to just really narrow in on that. And because I think it's just, and that's the part that's not funny, you know, that, 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 that people like yourself have, you know, had to be in this environment where you're, you know, you've got these, these grownups shouting at you about sexual organs and, and, and sexualizing children. And they're the fact that they're able to say like, oh yeah, Senator such and such is way into this. And yes. George, George H.W. Bush has flown around with, yeah. with, uh, with, with Reverend Moon. And I think, I think if I'd been a little more experienced back yeah. when I wrote this book, I would have really narrowed it on that angle yeah and i think that's that's, i'm glad you mentioned i think it's a really uh it's a really fair thing to say and 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 yeah i mean that that, at at the end of the day all these fucking politicians in this book yeah like they were literally like my parents yeah would and that would happen right that would happen my parents would literally i would that's a conversation i had with my parents where they would be like oh look this senator just bowed down look don't you see because how could like, you think that was bad, right? Like if it's like well, I mean, this, I was I was raised to yeah. believe this guy was gonna was gonna you know was the second coming of Christ, yeah. uh, and that was all of these, all of those little moments are, are used, like you say, that to, to keep people in the cult and to and to to perpetuate the cycle of abuse on yeah. the kids who grew up in that very in that much. cult. And it's just yeah, yeah, super disturbing. And I mean, I think what was really hard for me when the book came out was that. I think because that didn't come through enough, you know, I'd go on like Air America, which was the, you know, like liberal radio show from back then, a radio network back then rather, excuse me. And, you know, I kind of get, they were trying to be kind of like rush, like liberal Rush Limbaugh's and, um, you know, it, it, it was so sort of like sad and, and ironic to me that I went into this thing, just seeing, just seeing Reverend Moon as a bogeyman that, that could be waved around on blogs but by the end of it had really come out with this feeling of like, this is just like a human tragedy and it's complicated mm. and these are real people. And yet the people on having me on the interview would be just sort of like, look at all these idiots who follow Reverend Moon. Mm. Aren't they like yeah. Republicans? <laughs> Aren't Republicans yeah. stupid? Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and I, I yeah. also, I also think, I think, um, you know, if, if you were writing this book now, yeah. um, you would probably find, I mean, I was, I was, um, it was like, you know, 18, 18, 20, early 20s, when a lot of this stuff was was yeah. happening in this book. Uh, now, you know, fast forward 15 to 20 years later, like, I'm at a different place in my life. And also, there, there's a lot more of us that are that are at yeah. that place in my life. I mean, it's like, amazing how many people are coming out. Yeah, and, and exactly. Writing, writing on, on social media about yeah. their experiences. And yeah, doing so, amazing work. So if you had written this now, you probably would have been connected like, yeah, with some people like that. They were and, out there. And, yeah, they would have been day, out there. There was nothing day, like, like the that. Main, there was yeah, nothing like that. The main yeah. voices out there back then were like, like you could you could find the second generation, but they were kind of like really young and hanging out on these these forums like BC World, where I think, yeah, I you know, when that, I was yeah. like a childish blogger, I think I might have gone on BC World. Yeah. Like, ha, ha, look at this. Yeah. Moon is silly. But um 
but you know, it was much easier to get a hold of some someone that had like been a first generation yeah. person who was unsatisfied with their experience yeah, joining the exactly, Unification Church exactly. for a while. I think it was, and it was a totally different story. It was, it think, was really hard for like for for kids who left at that age to even just feel like they could talk about it or I feel bet. like there like, was anything. Just like, what happened to me? Yeah, right? and and most people tried to bury it. I kind of tried to bury it for a long time. But and something now, I think we were thinking of. What some, oh, sorry, I think something yeah. we were talking about. It's so interesting is it's like the the second generation experience um, is just such a completely different animal um, in terms of the issues involved in the first generation where, you know, I think for so long, like a shield for the unification church was this idea like, well, people have a right to, to whatever religion they yeah. want. And it was something like as someone who grew up with very liberal sort of ACLU parents, I was like, I was yeah. like, I struggled with like the idea of like, what if it's as bad as the unification church people online say, and I'm persecuting these people. What Mm. if I'm, what if like they, you know, they would post these really over the top things where it would be like, well, John, I suppose you'd like to see us all rounded up and sent off to camps. And then I'd be like, I'd be like, no, I I don't think so. But you know, that goes away. They actually believe that though, that that's part of the persecution complex that they have. Right. I'm sure they're taught. Well, it's like Jim Jones told his followers, they're coming for you, you know, you better drink the Kool-Aid. But but what I say, like, like once you're in the second generation, you didn't choose to choose to make a a choice to to join this, this all controlling organization. It's like, we were talking about how it's like the hunger game. It's like this strange dystopian experience. that's completely different. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And and that's, well, yeah, I mean, I I think that's a good point. And And I actually think, I mean, um, well, we talked about that, like, you know, the, the, the um, abuse, abuse scandals in the Catholic church. Um, I, if, I think if someone out there wanted to, wanted to pick up on, on that thread in the unification church, especially now, like you say, like yeah. the, the second generation who didn't choose, choose to be there, who were in this abusive environment. Um, I, I, I think that, I think that there could be, there could be something just as big as, as, you know, the Catholic or even the, the recent Jehovah's Witnesses cases, if someone wanted to dig into that. With the unification um, church, with the unification yeah. church. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know exactly how you prove it. I don't know exactly, but, but, but it just, really I feel is like, like there's it's, it's like a big enough second, beast. It's a big enough beast. You're in the second generation, and you're some kid, and it's like, yeah. By the way, you're just gonna be you're just gonna be in this life where we've like recruited like a disgraced person accused of child abuse to, to mm. hang out with you. Like, yeah, it's, it's terrible. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. sorry like disclaimer exactly. to i have no idea if, if if it's like that philip seymour hoffman movie doubt if anything really happened there and sorry like yeah you, you could delete that reference but it's like you know i have no idea who's who's guilty or innocent it's just that literally george stallings was available because yeah. of this controversy <laughs> with the catholic church <laughs> yeah so yeah. what enemies like, have we made on this podcast uh george stallings uh, and yeah. lee penn author yeah, of okay, um, that's cool. globalists let's, and the u.n let's, let's taking over a, the world let's make a few more uh, do you mind if i Maybe we've made a few enemies. Maybe next time around we'll make a few more. I'm okay with that. Should probably also say that Mr. Lee Penn, if you feel that you have been incorrectly maligned on this show, then I would like to offer you the right to reply. I'll have you on my show. I feel like it's only fair. If you'd like to set the record straight, come on down. And yeah. Maybe next time we'll make a few more enemies. I kind of hope we do. I hope that John and I make enemies in this episode and the next episode. 
because I think it would be kind of fitting. Yeah, did you hear that at the end? The Unification Church welcomed a known, excuse me, let me cover my ass here, welcomed a suspected child abuser into their midst, and they venerated him as the next big cheese, the next kahuna, the guy that everyone should emulate and respect, almost bow down to. That was sort of the reverence that we were expected to have for this guy, Stallings. And the only reason, as John said, that he was available was because he was a suspected groomer and child sexual abuser, and he was available for the Moonies to recruit. So if you've been listening to the show for a while, I say again, you hear all this bullshit about grooming out there. Not about Disney. Not about the gays. It's about the actual religious people themselves trying to deflect the attention from the actual shit that's going on in their own fucking homes. Can't say that for every religion, but certainly for this one, that is the case. And I have to say it's kind of wonderful and awe-inspiring that someone like John figured that out and just started throwing rocks at the UC. I'm really glad that someone actually fucking cared because not many people do. So thank you, John, for caring. Caring enough to dedicate a large portion of your life to writing this book and for throwing rocks at the fucking giants that devastated my life and the lives of thousands of other people. Thank you from the bottom of my heart and believe that everyone else who grew up in and around this cult probably owes you a debt of gratitude for saying something when no one else would say anything. So thank you. Even though the message may not have been the message that you wanted, even though it may have been twisted, it was something. And there was nothing. No one was saying anything for us. Nothing was said on our behalf. And you said the best thing you possibly could. You pieced together the best possible story that you could and said something on our behalf. So for that, I'm eternally grateful to you. And I think many people that listen to this show will also be eternally grateful to you. So thank you. I also need to add something that I didn't mention in the introduction, but this feels like the place to, to mention it. In the run-up to the publication of Bad Moon Rising, John made a series of web promos. They're called The King of America, and they are fucking hilarious. I'm going to link to them in the show notes here. And the reason that they don't actually include the words Bad Moon Rising is because John was unsure about the actual title of the book. Well, A, he didn't really like the title Bad Moon Rising, and he didn't know what the final title was going to be. So for that reason, he made a promo, but it doesn't include the title of his book. But they're called The King of America, and holy shit, they are amazing. I highly suggest you look at those. There are two of them. They're about 10 minutes long each. And I hope you will... Come back in a week or whenever you are available to listen to part two with John. That one starts off with the bang. We go right into George Bush being part of the money-making machine, including taking money from widows in Japan. That's another topic that John wrote about, and I think it helps to further contextualize some of the other themes that have been talked about on this show about the exploitation of church members for the purposes of financial gain. 
for the moons and also looks at how a influential family like the Bush family was involved in that cycle of abuse. Again, thank you, John. Thank you to my collaborators, as always. Thank you to Teddy Hose for the graphic design, and thank you to Luciana Strait for the portraiture. The next episode with John is great, and I hope to see you there. Peace.